Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us today is the president and founder of RWS Financial, Rocco Scarcella. Thanks for coming on the show, Rocco. Oh, thank you. Most appreciative for including me in this uh, awesome opportunity. Thank you. That's great. Our audience is going to get so much wisdom from you today. I am sure of it. So let's uh, start off by just asking you to share your story with us. Um, in particular, how did you get your start and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll try and do it justice. Um, it's a little long-winded, but pretty simple. Um, it all sort of evolved over when I was a young boy, I was in a terrible auto accident with my parents or with my mother, should I say. And as a result of that, she ended up with a, a closed head injury that lingered for four decades. Um, I became, as an only child, I became a primary caregiver once I became a young adult. Um, the family all circled around, obviously, uh, with our roots, but as an only child, it ultimately respond, it, it falls on you, the responsibility. So I learned early uh, to have to make a difference. I had to figure out a way so that my father could retire, uh, take inventory of all of the uh, resources. To help put it in perspective, uh, this is back in the late 60s and uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield, after about several months, decided that a million dollars was all they were going to spend on medical care for somebody. Uh, so being an entrepreneur as he was, uh, he handled it for the decades to go. So um, I, I made it a point of learning how to manage money, how to make investments work and understand that landscape. So that's how it kind of drove me. So I began my career over 30 years ago, small firm called First Investors is where I got my start in an era where the harder you worked, the more success you had. So pure tenacity and a willingness to, to succeed did that. Um, I wanted to do it on my own. Uh, so unlike a lot of the firms where you bring in family and friends and they hope it works out for you, uh, I, I became, I told them I was an orphan and I had nobody. So they quickly taught me how to make 200 calls a day, how to knock on doors, how to do all of the hard work that stuck. So um, that's where I started after about four or five years with First Investors, I had achieved levels of success. They allowed me to open up an office of my own. They gave me a small budget to begin that process. So I became a, uh, an advisor, a sales trainer, and, an, and a, a FINRA coach at the same point. As we learned over time, uh, about five years into that relationship, I was allowed to sit on a, on a conference call where they didn't take roll check. And the short of it was that their true colors showed at that point. They really were not concerned about the, the clients or the advisors that supported them, more so on the bottom line. And that evening when I, uh, when I went home, uh, my, my young family was very small and you, know, you work in 70, 80 hours a week and when a six month old looks up at you from the crib, like, who are you? <laughs> it all kind of came together. Uh, I, I immediately, I resigned the next morning. I took a month off to determine where I wanted to go and how I was going to move forward. And that's where my independence began. Uh, I was fortunate enough to join a firm out of Hudson, Ohio called Vestex. And Vestex was a very small firm at that point being led by Larry Roth and, and Jack Conley and a, and a boatload of other fine individuals. Um, and I spent a decade plus there uh, uh, on, and uh, learned some very important lessons about continuity and succession. 
Uh, my mentor died one day, uh, simply just fell over of a, what they call a widow maker, I guess it is, um, you know, the uh, major artery in your heart. And the story that comes off of that is the fact that I got a call from uh, Larry Roth and Jack Conley saying, we need to talk to you. And at that time, I was part of about 20 advisor group of that OSJ. And um, in order, I, I guess I was the best position to take it over, so we did. And um, uh, between the broker dealer carving out part of their, ref, their profits, their revenue, and uh, I doing the same, uh, over the next three years, we enriched that widow um, substantially, uh, 350, 400,000, something in that neighborhood. And she has been my client up until about six months ago when she finally passed at the age of 86. What that taught me was that if something, if I got hit by that proverbial Pepsi truck or ice cream truck, who was going to help and take care? So that's where it kind of began for me. Um, and uh, it was very, very rough, very crude at that point. There was no, none of what's available today. So you kind of flew by the seat of your pants, but you did what was right for the people. So um, anyhow, that's, that's where I started. And, and as you fast forward today, uh, back in 2008, uh, we joined Cambridge uh, for the culture. So you can understand why that's important to me. Uh, and that's why Cambridge was very attractive to me. So, so much there, such an inspiring story. Um, I'm gonna back up and ask you a couple of questions. You, sure. said, you said your father was an entrepreneur. Mm, yes. And yeah. what did he do? Uh, he was a brick and stone mason. Um, uh, so he, they built high schools and, and uh, jack-in-the-boxes, most notably that people would recognize throughout the country. My father immigrated from Italy at the age of 19 uh, and had to assimilate, uh, learn language, be a read and write, and do everything that was necessary to advance. And uh, that's where our work ethic comes from, quite frankly, is that heritage and that that knowing that you put forth the effort and do the right things, it, it eventually comes comes full circle. So watching uh, your father as an entrepreneur had to have inspired you largely to keep working towards that independence, but where finance specifically? Like, can you remember what that first, you know, you could have been anything, right? Now there's all kinds of entrepreneurial opportunities out there, but what really was that moment that you thought, no, it's finance. I want to help people in finance. I guess the reality of the there was never going to be an end if you did not figure out how to make your money work for you properly. Um, and, you know, uh, again, you can do everything you need, but when you have to sustain something for decades, perceived decades, you have to have a way of your money working on its own instead of you working for the money. So I guess that was a, a, a pivotal point for me. Uh, you know, and one of the um, one of the accountants at the time that handled the books for the for my dad's company, uh, one day he just sat down. He says, "You know, what are you thinking about doing?" Uh, and I said, "Well, I, I'm not sure. I was really I was into architecture, uh, and uh, that was something that I enjoyed, uh, and it still is to today. Um, but something, some words that resonated from him uh, pointed me in this direction. So I figured out how do I do this, and I don't want to." Uh, uh, I didn't want to sell product. I just wanted to learn how how the system works. So, did you ever consider along that very long and successful career making a change? No, 
No, because I, uh, without a doubt, uh, I, I, I gifted or, or, or lucky, talented, but I have the ability to spend time, uh, assess, and get folks to take action, whether it's advisors uh, properly or individual clients. And uh, always putting them first is just something that came natural to me. Uh, and, you know, now it's the fiduciary standard. We're supposed to do that. But, you know, 30 years ago, it was just the right thing to do. And that's how I built it. So. Absolutely. Uh, I know that about you. So that's a perfect segue. T let's talk about your current firm. What does it look like? And um, you've, you're surrounded by a lot of other talent today. You've gone from being what you just described, really, right? A solo on your own at certain times, certainly with mentors and, and support around you. But talk to our audience about what you've built and what your business looks like today. Well, uh, we've built something we're very proud of. Um, RWS firm now is uh, 14 offices throughout the, the Midwest and some outlying states, 50-ish, um, 50, 50 52, 53 between financial professionals and licensed and unlicensed support staff and teams. Um, our passion continues to be financial literacy, uh, helping clients make great decisions moving forward. Uh, we have been able to seek out uh, individuals to help us in their niches. So there's folks that are, that are uh, focused on taxes or tax preparation. So we've created a tax side to our business to help provide that clarity. Uh, retirement planning and retirement plans in general, one of our individuals, that's his main focus is that so that we have a standard to go to all the time. And we built an opera, uh, proud of the fact that when you bring advisors on and then you help them determine what they see, where they want to go, and you help them get there, give them the tools, uh, encourage, continue to um, spend time. I mean, one of the biggest things is getting them to, getting to understand what, what we're doing right now. What's really the core? What do you want to do? What makes you the most happiness? Where is your, have you looked at your business? Uh, we look at it from a uh, top down, uh, you know, what is your objective? Where you're driving to? Are you profitable? Uh, are you serving the right people? Are you happy? Most importantly, is your team happy? All of that spills over into what we've incorporated today. Um, we have uh, we've made a, a platform for our retail, about our retail side, which started around four years ago. We made that uh, that focus on the retail side of life purposely to take a look and say at the end of the day um, like in in medical a surgeon walks into an operating room operates and walks back out he doesn't prep he or she does not prep the room or clean the room so uh, our, our our objective is to have our advisors spending 90 percent of their time focused on their clients focused on what's important so does that help a little bit amy absolutely um go See if you can go into a little bit more detail for me around the types of attributes you would want in a financial professional that would fit well at your firm. Integrity, honesty, uh, a work ethic, uh, obviously intelligent, smart, hardworking, passion for, the, for, for people, uh, the ability to relate and understand uh, as you know, many times folks can say one thing, but they really mean something else. And you have to have a skill set to be able to dif differentiate that and help them articulate what's really important to them. 
uh, we are uh, components. We, we, our main component is the financial planning process. Um, we have a, a licensed pair planner. That's all that Morgan does is that type of work. And every interaction with a client is that even the reviews of clients have been with us for a decade plus because life changes. And as you take into consideration the changes as an example, and as a result of the pandemic, many clients who thought they had two or three more years to go before retirement, all of a sudden realize that either, A, I can't go back to my work for health reasons, or simply I've been, uh, I've, I've now realized that maybe I don't wanna work as hard and I wanna scale back a little bit. So the planning process helps to highlight that and really flush out what's important and make sure that all, it's like a beneficiary checkup, right? You know, we know, we know it's supposed to be these people. Has anything changed? Oh, it has changed. So let's address that and revisit that. That's, that's sort of the key. It's amazing to me how many people have gone through that psychological uh, evolution that you just described post COVID. Have you had to have the difficult conversation with any of your clients where they want to retire and maybe they aren't ready? And uh, I think as financial professionals, in my opinion, that's probably one of the biggest value proposition components you bring to the table because you do have to be that life coach at the same time. But can you describe one of those situations for us? Uh, recently, there was a client that came in uh, because of this pandemic decided I've always wanted to live out in the country, so I'm going to do that. And as they started to think that process, what they thought of was they did one aspect of it, which is, well, I know I can afford the house. They tell me it's going to cost me, you know, $200 a square foot, so I can afford the $600,000 for the house. Um, and then logistically trying to put into into the right compartments, those various pieces of it, okay? So you're gonna be doing this. This one individual happened to be on a lake, so you're gonna want a boat and you're gonna want this and you're gonna need new furniture and yada, yada, yada. So um, as you go through that checklist, which we provided was to look at things other than here's the $600,000 house in this example. They came back and they were appreciative that we did that because their 600 number quickly grew to nine. Nine was outside of their ballpark. We didn't have to tell them you shouldn't do this. They told themselves. Um, and, 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 and it was a very nice thank you note that came back helping us through a very hard, difficult. This is why, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, and that's just one example, uh, but it does happen. Or people who say, I'm 62, I'm going to, I'm pulling the plug. And we have to tell them that you really should think about this and here's why. So when the planning, again, illustrates that if everything goes well, then you're only going to be 80% funded. So 86 and broke is not going to be fun. So let's talk about that. And let's, let's look a little bit more granular at what can we do? Can you tough it out two or three more years? And if you do, look at what you can do by reallocating and, and instead of putting in the 2000 into your 401k, let's make that four, let's make that six, you know, um, that that's what has come off of it. Uh, they're hard, but, but they're, but they appreciate it once they wake up. Well, and you just described, I think the key, which is you're giving them the tools and information to actually make the decision themselves. So you don't have to tell them you're just, it's a coach. You're being a life coach, which is a, Wildly, val widely valuable to lots of clients out there. Yeah, it is. 
So let's shift gears for a moment. Uh, you, as you described what you've built, use the term we, and I happen to know that there's a lot of family members in that we. Talk to us about uh, how what it means to have a family-owned business and who are those family members that are helping you regularly? So my entire family, despite my best efforts, I used to say as a joke, despite my best efforts, they wouldn't leave, but they, they have, and I'm, I'm blessed that they are, uh, all of them. Uh, they all entered at various stages. So the, my large family is my wife, Kathy, and my oldest son, Antonio, and my uh, youngest son, Nicholas. Um, they each have very important roles in the business. Uh, the young, the, my sons were involved since high school in coming in, filling, looking, you know, obviously spending money and not really knowing what they were doing. And they would joke, we were scanning things, didn't know what we were scanning, what it was, but we did whatever we were told. Um, and little by little, they continued to become more intricate, more involved. Uh, and as a result, they have continued to be the driving force behind our growth. Uh, my wife, Kathy, is our controller. Uh, has been involved in that capacity. Oh God, the last 20 years, I would guess has been now. Um, so uh, we're a tight knit family, not a large family, uh, but yet uh, we uh, we do get the job done. And um, we have a we, we've we've inputted systems and processes for us to separate personal from business, so that we can stay focused and uh, continue to drive at that level. Do you and your family stay involved in the community? Um, and if so, uh, tell us about that. How do you give back? In a lot of ways, that's that's excellent. Uh, we do like to support charities. Uh, we have done so uh, from adopting a local family during the holidays, uh, making blankets for the animal shelters, raising awareness of things that have happened in our uh, Great Lakes and the oceans. Um, uh, we've uh, food banks, uh, University of Michigan has a camp called Michitanka, which is something that uh, it's, it's a summer camp for children that have had some sort of transplant scenario. So over the years, we've been involved via clients and friends and to introduce all these various organizations. We do make it a corporate event. Uh, we involve our clients. Uh, so we do client events on an ongoing basis for client appreciate summer barbecues, uh, a beautiful holiday party we put on every year. And uh, so we involve our clients in these things because many times they're the ones who brought the charity to our awareness. And it's just amazing. So backing up a little bit, I guess, um, you know, we've been blessed. So when you are blessed, you should be able to give back and help share some of that. And when you see the looks on a small child or a, or a mother, uh, a family that doesn't know where they're going next and someone walks in and, and changes their world. It is very emotional and it does change your life. So giving back is uh, something that's uh, very important to us at Accor. What do you do outside of work, sir? I know you work hard and uh, probably it seems sometimes like you don't have a lot of free time because that's just what happens uh, in our industry. I think people fall in love and have a passion around what they do and it, it's personal and, or personal and professional start to merge together. But talk to us about what you do outside of work. Well, I believe in working hard, but I, I also have the mindset of play harder. So um, living in Michigan, we have four seasons. So every 90 days, we get a new, a new, new environment to work and play in. Uh, we enjoy the outdoors. I hunt, I golf, snowmobile, traveling. Um, 
I continue my Italian heritage. That's something that I enjoy quite a bit. I make wine. We love to cook, uh, spend time talking with my fellow country folks that are aging, the seniors that can still converse before I forget how to use my language. Um, but I really do believe in work hard and play harder. Uh, you need that balance. And that's what I try to do. And you're a grandfather, correct? I am, two of them. Tell me about those. I have Addison, who is now eight, going on 18, I think. Uh, uh, Grayson, five, and uh, they're wonderful people. Uh, watching them grow is just bringing me back to what we used to do before. Um, so there's, there's special routines that we go through. Uh, they live close by, so we see them a lot. Uh, Kathy spends times with the kids picking them up after school between and so we're known as she's known as Nani and I'm known as Papa. So um, anyhow, it's always a fun time when we get them together and, uh, and uh, we have a couple of fur babies as well as so grand grand puppies, I guess you call them right. So anyhow, we we, uh, we enjoy it. We have a lot of fun with it. Maybe another generation of financial professionals at RWS being groomed there, right? Well, we'll see. If Nicholas has anything to say about it, I'm sure that'll be the case. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yes. that's wonderful. Hey, Rocco, um, coming back to the business a little bit, I would be remiss if I didn't ask a question around whether or not you and the team have made any changes as a result of what we've all gone through the last 18 months in terms of um, more digital you know, work from home. What are the what are the things that you had to implement, perhaps, that you think are going to stay? Oh, well, quickly I had to become a, a Zoom expert. Uh, what expert? At least expert's the wrong word. Um, functional. <laughs> I had to be functional. So um, whenever I get an invite that says it's not a Zoom, I go into a panic attack because it's something different. I don't know where all my little widgets are at. Uh, but what I've learned throughout this whole process is that people are adaptable and clients as well as advisors are so. Uh, we blew our stretch gold out of the water in 2020, despite never leaving our dens, if you would. Um, and uh, we, we shut our offices down St. Patrick's Day of last year uh, in, to protect our team. And uh, the advisors who were comfortable would come and go into offices to meet clients as based on their comfort level, but um, way more efficient. I spend five or six hours in front of this machine and I'm gonna do what I would take me double that time in person. Uh, but I do miss the, the human contact. So, uh, but it was enlightening to see that you could take, you could take a client from an initial phone introduction to handing over a million dollars and never meet the individual. That was uh, awesome. Uh, and, and the same with regards to financial professionals who were looking for a succession plan and literally monetized their life's work. And finally a handshake happened when we we're all comfortable post the transaction. So those were some of the ahas that came out of it. And then to learn and to, to understand that now there are no no borders, no boundaries. I mean, and a lot of us did this over the years, uh, remotely with clients that read, you know, snowbirds that move, but this, this was across the whole board. Uh, so it was very inspiring that we could do that kind of stuff. I've been very impressed with our Cambridge financial professionals across the board. I hear over and over again that 2020 was a huge growth year for a lot of people. 
And you're right. That's because we are, I think the entrepreneurism and the fierce independence that tends to go along with our segment of the industry sparked the ability for us to adapt so quickly. And not everybody could do that. So referrals, for instance, it, it seems really started kind of coming from all directions for a lot of our advisors. And it sounds like you saw the same thing. Yeah, with the, the, I think uh, you go back to the planning because when you meet people you've never met before and you explain to them your process of how you go through it, here's the steps, here's what you should, you should expect. Here's the people that'll, that'll be touching you to make this go full cycle. And then when we're done, we're going to assess. Well, when they go through that pretty efficiently in say four hours about, and they've gotten more direction and clarity than they have in the previous two or three decades. They tend to tell people about that experience. I'm not big on social media. I mean, like I don't even have a Facebook page personally, right? That's how that, and I, that's a conscious decision that I'm sticking with, but um, that's how that name continues to go because you are developing a brand. You are leaving behind um, definite, clear pictures of what to expect and, and what the results speak for themselves. So yeah, yeah. that's, that's pretty good. It's great. So we're getting to, ready to wrap up here, but do you have any advice for someone who's considering our profession? Um, they could be someone young that is thinking about, you know, back when earlier when we were talking about how people often accidentally stumble into our industry, it could be somebody in that or a second career, a career changer. Like, what? What's the best advice you could give somebody that's thinking about getting into our business? Do, get into the business for the right reason. If you want to help people make a difference, uh, put your needs secondary. And if you do that, then it's like the old saying, if you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life. But again, do it because you want to make a difference in people's lives. Whether it's at the corporate level, or at you know, mom and pop level, uh, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Because if you're joining, a, you're joining a firm like Cambridge, you have an abundance of tools to be able to get the job done. You just need to do it for the right reason. Don't look at the money. The money will come. And, uh, and, and always hold, we learned as very young children that if you always told the truth, you never had to word, worry about what fell out of your mouth. And if you always did the right thing, you could always walk in with your head, your head held high. Unfortunately, all the negative stuff that we see in the financial rags are about the folks that abuse that and abuse that trust. And there is something that was said many years ago that trust isn't something you can buy, you earn trust. And when you earn the trust, if you abuse it, shame on you, uh, because it'll, it's just, that's not what you're supposed to do, obviously. So do it for the right reasons, my point. Well said. I couldn't have said it better myself. That is very inspiring. Rocco, thank you for sharing your heart with us today. Thank you for trusting Cambridge. And thank you for the friendship and partnership. I look forward to lots more conversations like this. It was I have even learned some things, and that means yeah. that this is success. We've given our listeners a lot of things to, to think about. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for everybody at Cambridge for what you guys do every day. Appreciate it much. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine, inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review. 
and head on over to our blog for more content at cambridgestronger.com. That's cambridgestronger.com. We are Cambridge Stronger.